On this program series, the Bridge Radio will be focusing on the externalization of EU borders policies. We will be discussing its implications and the effect and everyday consequences for refugees and migrants. Our aim on this series will be bringing out the voices of refugees and migrants that has been silenced, oppressed and traumatized around Europe and beyond it. The voices of activists who resist the oppression of anti-migration both inside and outside the borders of Europe as well as scholars who carry out research in the field. Today we live in a society where those rendered refugees and migrants by warfare, economic warfare and climate change are exploited, criminalized, stigmatized and live in a fear of detention and forced deportation. The externalization of EU border measures are happening around us fast and rapidly in a way that the EU citizens almost don't realize the implications of this bilateral trade and aid agreements between the EU states and third countries. This international relationship, bilateral trade and aid agreements, requires neighboring or third countries to secure the EU borders outside the EU states. This international relationship Bilateral trade and aid agreements requires neighboring or third countries to secure the EU borders outside the EU states. And this dramatically has increased the dangers for refugees and migrants' deaths on the Mediterranean Sea and across the deserts of North Africa. As researcher Mark Ackerman writes in Expanding the Fortress, this involves agreements with European neighboring countries to accept deported persons and to adopt the same policies of border control, improve trafficking of people and fortified borders as Europe. In other words, these agreements have turned Europe's neighbors into Europe's new border guards. And because they are so far from Europe's shores and media, the impacts are almost completely invisible to EU citizens. He further explains how in this militarization process, the arm and security industry has helped shape Europe border security policies and have reaped the rewards for ever more border security measures and contracts. In this new liberalization of borders and expansion of the border zones, it is the European military and security industry that have derived the most benefits of delivering much of the equipment and services for border security. On this program, we want to ask questions such as who profit from these policies of externalization of EU borders? How does it affect who is deportable and where? How does it affect zones of bordering? How do we resist these policies and which struggles are already taking place? How can we understand it as a continuation of colonial regimes? On this series, we will try to unfold these often hidden policies that is attached to this agreement and raise the voices of those affected. On this program series, we will try to decolonize and educate ourselves, activists, groups and civil society. We want to understand how this system works. We will try to raise alternative solutions on this border regime. For the freedom of movement, are for the freedom to stay. The Bridge Radio.
not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationists. Hello, this is The Bridge Radio, and uh, we are live here again today, and we are trying to present, bringing you the toughest or one of the toughest toughest topics uh, around Europe today which is migration uh, this is the bridge radio once again and I'm going to be your host today Steve and uh, on the other hand I also have my colleague who will be joining us here from the phone and um, please can you introduce yourself to us or to the audience hello uh, it seems like we've lost the line for my uh, co-host and but as i said today is uh, a good day and uh, I'll, i'm going to be your host and today we'll mainly be talking about as our, as our previous program the externalization of eu borders and in this today's program we've been um, interviewing a researcher and also an activist first i uh, will introduce the researcher who is makakman who is from the Netherlands and uh, has been doing researches on both uh, the externalization of borders. And uh, we had an interview with him and we talked more specifically about who have been looking at the profits from these policies that the EU have made. Uh, we also talked to Rihanna and uh, an activist from uh, CELTA in Spain. Uh, this is a uh, and I learned many of us know from the Spanish enclave colony in Africa, mainland, from Morocco. And we'll be talking to these two people, and today we are going to be playing quite some of the interviews we had with them. So, as I said earlier, today is we are mainly focusing on who both profits 
from the suffering of the refugees today and also how the EU uh, European Union also contributes in making these harsh policies that actually causes the deaths of people um, on the sea. So before I move over to the interview with Mark Ekman, um I'm going to be bringing you some music and uh, just made the introduction now, maybe before I get back uh, or before the music is going to be played and finished, uh, my um, co-host is going to be here. But while that happens, uh, I would like you to listen to this beautiful music by Mona uh, Haida. And she's also singing about barbarians. And when we are re referring to barbarians, this is almost how we are, the refugees and migrants today are being seen around Europe. And we intend somehow to change this narrative of presenting us as barbarians, as people who uh, perhaps do not belong to this part of the world. And also trying to remain, remind people that um, this, phenomen this phenomenon of migration or people on the move is not a new thing. So, but anyway, this is the music. This is uh, Mona. civilized, I'd rather stay savage. We them barbarians, beautiful and scaring them, earth shaking, rattling, be wild out loud again. We them barbarians, jasmine and frankincense, feminine invading them, beautiful barbarians. Also to say we are not barbarians. Oh, they packing fillers. Ultra light be metaphysical, huh? Power no longer invisible, huh? Your beauty standard is cynical. Oh, a revolution is so critical. Power so deep and so mystical. They say the personal is so political. Oh, women, our future is winnable. We gotta be indivisible. We them barbarians, beautiful and scaring them. Earth shaking, rattling. Be wild out loud again. Frankincense, feminine invading them, beautiful barbarians. Say it again, beautiful barbarians. Say it again, beautiful barbarians. Uh, beats before now, they wanna be 
So that was Mona Beautiful Barbarians. So as she's saying, we need to decolonize quite a lot of the things we do. And uh, today we are trying to decolonize the minds of the ideas about migration. And um, so coming back to the to this topic of um externalization of EU borders, uh, we will try to bring into light the issues facing the EU uh, security problems they have in the EU and also how this is really playing out in reality when we talk about how they have put in the policies and actually how they have put in the practices. So uh, now I'm going to be introducing the talk with Mark Ackman um, and I would like our audience to a bit listen to what he has to say because he's also someone who has been researching on this uh, particular field. So I introduced the first um, interview we had with Mark Ackman. So we're here we are. I'm uh, Mark Ackerman. I'm a researcher at uh, Stop Wapenhandel, uh, the British campaign against arms trade. It's a small uh, research and uh, activist organization in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, what we mainly do is uh, research and campaigning uh, on and against uh, Dutch and European arms trade, arms industry. Mm -hmm. And for the last few years, I've been specifically focusing on uh, the EU border security, so the militarization of the European borders. And, uh, military and security companies that are profit. So my first question is going to be in your in, in, in your article you mentioned that the within the last few years we also as I'm a refugee and I also experienced this that the dramatic uh, increase in the European Union's increase in budget on securitization of EU borders has increased. Can you please elaborate on this a little bit? And like, yeah, explain a bit about the trends that is. Yeah, I think there's been an increase on a lot of fronts that are connected to border security. I think, for example, Frontex, which mm -hmm. is the EU uh, border security agent, budget when it started out in 2005 was six, mi six million euros, and now in 2018 it has a budget of 320 million euros. Then there are uh, several EU funds uh, to finance border security measures of EU member states, for which for the period 2004-2020 there was a total of four. 5 billion euros. There's increasing funding for border security in uh, third countries. So it's mainly EU financing border security measures in uh, African, Middle Eastern, Eastern Europe countries. The Turkey deal is, of course, uh, part of that, which alone was uh, billions of euros. There's increasing funding for research on border security. Mm. Um, so, yeah, on all these levels, especially since 2015, the money really has uh, gone up. Mm. Last month, the, the European Commission presented its uh, budget plans for uh, yeah, the next seven-year cycle. They always have a budget for seven years. Mm -hmm. So that would be from 2021 to 2027. And their migration control is one of the main priorities. The total funding for border security and migration management, as they call it, measures will be uh, tripled from, uh, from what it is uh, in this budget period. So it all, uh, yeah, it's, it's important for the EU that spending mm. really goes up a lot. Mm. Do you know with this budget increase, like even more that's going to be in the future, if it, how much is also for like this border security in third countries, like I mean the externalization policies? 
Well, that's not completely clear yet because that uh, the funding for border security in third countries will mainly come from a large new fund, which is called, called the Neighborhood uh, and Development Corporation Instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that we'll be funding uh, almost all of the external actions by the EU and uh, border security in third countries will be one of them. The exact amount in there which will be spent on border security in third countries this will certainly be more than it, than it has been uh, now. For example, if you compare it uh, to the funds for the border security by EU member states, that will be nine billion for uh, for the next period of seven years, which is over twice as much as it was for the complete period from sixteen years uh, until then. You know, in 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 our last program, we were actually focusing on um, the EU externalization of border in uh, uh, Niger, and we were talking to one of the activists who is also working on the ground there to try to understand why the EU is using such forms in trying to externalize or stop migration. And one of the things he expressed was the visibility of the security companies themselves or the funds that has been offered to like military or militants who would protect the EU's interest in stopping the people from migrating. We have seen that in Libya, we have seen that in uh, Niger or in Mali. I mean, the militarization of it and also the externalization of it. Because you mentioned that in your in your article when you said that one of the bases for the EU to be able to um, export their how the military equipment or military ideas, how they become some kind of advisors in this field of migration is by extending the borders outside the EU borders. Yeah, well, I think you see what the EU wants is to stop uh, migrants as early as possible, to stop them already on their uh, route to Europe, to uh, prevent them from even reaching the European borders, because then the EU has to deal with it, has to deal with asylum applications, and has to deal with... uh, with media and the public eye on what's happening there. Mm-hmm. For the last few years, especially, they have set up projects uh, in many countries and have agreements with many countries on uh, on strengthening and militarizing border security in those countries to stop migrants uh, from going further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to border security, what they do is give money to, to the border security authorities, be it more police or be it more military, that, that differs per country. And yeah, give them money for uh, for buying equipment and a lot of that is bought at European uh, military and security companies, uh, money for training, uh, things like that. You also made a mention of uh, countries in which these practices, about 30-something countries, I don't remember, but you also made a mention of that, uh, how this, they have become sort of like EU's border guards. Yeah, well, yeah, there are many countries. The EU is cooperating with dozens of countries, and uh, yeah, I think there are countries that they especially focus on, which are the countries in Northern Africa or the countries uh, below that, like uh, Niger, Sudan, Mali, some countries uh, to the east, like uh, Ukraine and Belarus, uh, Turkey, of course. So, yeah, everything to uh, to stop migrants on their routes to Europe. Yeah, what you see is that they focus on one country. For example, in 2015, there was a lot of focus on the route via Turkey. The Turkey deal, this route was largely cut off, and, and another route becomes the more important one. And so, uh, yeah, that keeps on going, and uh, routes keep shifting. It's never going to end that the EU 
firmly on this course of seeing more border security and militarization of borders uh, as, uh, as the only solution. Yeah, so what you also write a lot about is like the role of security and mili- the military interest industries in Europe. So I wanted to ask you if you could explain about this role and also especially about, you, you mentioned that they get a role of like being experts and advisor in the development of these policies mm-hmm. uh, in EU. I think there's also different layers to that, but I think the most important what the military and security industry has managed to do is to uh, to frame migration as a security problem instead of what I would say would be a political and humanitarian problem primarily. Mm-hmm. But they frame it almost exclusively as a security problem that needs to be dealt with with uh, security and military means and equipment, uh, the things that they provide. That's the general discourse of EU policy. They have very effective lobbies to do yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they meet up with the European Commission several times a year. They have good contacts with Frontex. They meet each other at security fairs. They organize their own meetings in which high EU officials participate. Uh, they have influential advisory papers. Yeah, and they've managed to uh, to present themselves as the expert and advisors on this subject because it's a security subject. Mm. And yeah, then it already goes quickly to where it's yeah it's seen a security problem. You need to deal with that, and then it's almost only uh, talking at the technical level. So what would be uh, the equipment that you need? And the security military industry, of course, always has new things they want to sell. So new surveillance technology, uh, autonomous technology. Um, So yeah, that keeps this militarization and strengthening of security going on. And I think yeah, this general discourse has been exported with the externalization of borders uh, to regions surrounding Europe uh, under EU pressure. Hmm. And for the military and security industry, that's of course a new market, new border security market in Africa that they're very keen on. For example, mm-hmm. they also lobby specifically for the EU to uh, to fund this border security in third countries. You, for hmm. example, have. Hmm. Uh, Another funding instrument uh, by the EU is called the Instrument Contributing to Stability and Peace, which was founded to fund flick prevention and peace building in third countries. Yeah, that's now also available for funding uh, border security and other security measures and uh, purchases in third countries. Uh, the proposal from the uh, European Commission to change the scope of this uh, instrument was almost completely copied from an advisory uh, paper by industry. Talking about these bordering uh, technique techniques that are being used, especially in externalization of uh, of EU borders, what are the more like? Do you know like more in detail about which kind of solutions that are more like on the table and also like for the future? Like kind of what is the talk about which techniques are so to say like popular? Not a lot different from it is at the EU border, so that's uh, uh, that's more petrus, uh, more surveillance technology, uh, mostly. And another thing, uh, especially focused on Africa, is uh, more biometric uh, solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, EU funds projects in uh, Mali and Senegal to take fingerprints from the mm-hmm. whole population and make a database from that. Mm-hmm. So when someone who comes from Mali or Senegal enters Europe, they can immediately be identified uh, with mm. the database that those countries mm. have to share with the EU mm. and uh, be deported again. Mm. Back to these mm. third countries. Yeah. This is something we will be seeing more like. Yeah, I think uh, that you really want to expand that because for them it's very effective uh, to have these kinds of uh, databases okay. they can use. Mm. Yeah.
Yeah, because we we also have had some of the politicians advocate for something like this when they say that uh, the safe paths they have created that people can actually seek asylum from their home countries or nearby home countries. So what you're trying to describe is that, like, for example, countries like um, Senegal, that people can go there, give their fingerprint in the name of seeking asylum. So if they actually do finally make it to Europe, which means they will be deported back to Senegal because they have their false fingerprint there. The EU and politicians are always very good in trying to sell uh Things uh, on border security and border control was actually good for uh, refugees and migrants. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's all with all the militarization of the Mediterranean, uh, mm. which makes it very difficult for uh, refugees to find routes. Mm. And they also take more dangerous routes. But the EU then says, "Oh, we're trying just trying to prevent uh, people from setting off at all." But it's actually even militarization that forces them to yeah. dangerous routes. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's something exactly like that. It is presented as something that's beneficial for the refugees, but in the end, uh, like most measures on migration and border, it's uh, actually used uh, against them. The color you line also mentioned the power about line. companies. It's the poverty line. So the guy that was the first part of the interview from Mark Ackman and uh, now I'm going to be bringing you some music and uh, after that we are going to be going next to the next phrase of the interview. So we still have a lot of talks to go about in this sterilization of EU border but now who you're hearing is uh, Asian Dub Foundation it's called Color Lines and since we're talking about lines since we're talking about borders and I thought this was would have been a very or we thought this would have been a very good song to also fit in just to say we do not need borders we do not need lines and we do not need the politicians taking our human rights away about global capitalism this is the exact same thing we are talking about the eu at this time in terms of migration they are the heart of it because externalizing the borders outside of their borders and presenting it as a security problem is actually a, a human problem and we do not need this kind of people because we actually know that it all stands for capitalism schemes projects which under the guise of developing the third world thunder it Earlier was Mark Ackman and um, 
he is a researcher as i said earlier in the program and he has been looking at the increased eu fundings on militarization and security companies in europe and also europe uh, military security industries are as both people who are shaping the policies and being the ones who are gaining from these policies interview is going to be coming up after this music and i hope you stayed on tune you're listening to the bridge radio live today the color line is the power line is the poverty line who profits from both sides of this refugee tragedy and you gave some concrete example in this uh in 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 your writings can you maybe explain that a bit further in terms of how is it that how can these companies profit from both sides and more concretely some examples of which companies if you look at the european uh, military and security industry they export a lot of arms all over the world mm. um, including to uh, the regions uh, where most refugees come from uh, and so, yeah, they feel the reasons people have to flee. They, yeah, they provide the arms and the tools for uh, for war, um, internal armed conflict, mm-hmm. uh, human rights violations, repression, mm-hmm. uh, also taking away money from social spending, for example. So, yeah, they feel the reasons that people have to flee. And if people then are on route, Europe, for example, or in Africa, wherever, at the borders, they are stopped with uh, equipment from the same companies. So that's yeah, they, that's why they profit on both sides. They profit by fueling the reasons people have to flee, and then they profit by stopping the same people. Mm. And yeah, if you look at the large European arms companies uh, like Airbus, Thales, mm. uh, Leonardo, uh, you can see that uh, the Middle East and North Africa, for example, are important markets for the arms exports, and they're also leading companies in the militarization of the European borders. And many of these companies you're mentioning right now, like Airbus and some of the ones, Airbus is based in Germany, which are also one of the countries in the EU, which is also somehow fighting for the refugees' rights and also against the refugees' rights. We have countries like France, who also have quite a lot of these um, uh, companies that operate in the same or from the same country and at the same time also feed into this idea of why they do not want the refugees here. So can you maybe a little bit explain in which this country, these companies where they are based and like, if you know, of course. Which, uh, well, these three companies, uh, uh, Airbus is a a pan-European company, so it is uh, headquarters are in the Netherlands, actually, because Mm -hmm. of tax reasons, but most production is in Germany and Mm -hmm. uh, France. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think Germany has a very uh, double role, because they're 
are or were one of the countries in Europe that were somewhat welcoming to refugees, at least more than other countries. Mm. But on the same side, uh, Germany is, uh, I think, the leading European country in uh, border externalization measures. They're very active in mm. uh, in supporting uh, security, border security measures in third countries. Mm. They, for example, uh, donated lots of Airbus border security equipment uh, to Tunisia. Mm. And they have cooperation with, uh, with Egypt on border security. So, yeah, Germany has a very double role in this. Thales is a French company, also uh, supported by government as well. I uh, don't really know what to say about the French uh, stance, but it's uh, also uh, very focused on border externalization. Uh, Macron has been very active uh, working together with uh, Niger, for example. Yeah, uh, yeah strengthening the the southern Libyan border uh, mainly. Yeah. Leonardo is an Italian company. He has been got a lot of support uh, from uh, from the Italian government, for example, for border security uh, sales to uh, to Libya. Hmm. And uh, Italy is very active, uh, mostly in Libya, strengthening border security there, uh, cooperating with both government and armed militias to stop migration. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll see a whole lot of more of this with this new government in Italy. It's very anti-migration, for sure. Are there other places now? We mentioned Fren- France, uh, Italy and Germany. Are there other major places where these uh, industries are, are based? Or is it mainly these? Uh, the industries also, I think, large players in the general in the European uh, arms industry are Spain and uh, And the UK as well. The largest European arms company is BIA Systems from the UK, uh, mm-hmm. which is a major exporter to uh, to the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia, uh, fueling the war in Yemen, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have, uh, haven't seen a lot of activity from them on uh, border security. And in Spain, okay. you have a large uh, technology technology company, Indra, that's very active in technology for uh, border surveillance. They've supplied uh, border surveillance systems to Spain, Portugal, Latvia, Romania, for example. Hmm. So yeah, that's also a big player in this field. And for all these companies, it also is that they get a lot of EU funding for uh, for border security research. It's also very important for them. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about like uh, the double profits and also mentioning the companies such as like the one in Italy, we many other times refer to Libya. Because we understand maybe some of the rhetorics that I hear why people do not want the refugees here, uh, both from the politicians and some of these companies or citizens. But at the same time, we do not hear a, a lot of people talking about what actually make the people flee, such as like people fleeing from Libya, the the war and how actually the difficult difficulties of people fleeing this place is rather what is being focused on is how to stop the people from fleeing and also spending resources on people not being able to flee so i I wanted to ask what your take in this in in terms although i know you have mentioned it before when you say the double profit what's your take in this in order to educate like european citizens so that they actually really do understand that people are not just fleeing um uh, some let's say economic my uh, economic problems but more like the there are issues that makes it very very difficult for for people to live in these places and also that this uh, double profit uh, in my in, in my view makes it very very impossible for people to also understand how the whole system works and who they are fighting against somehow so can you explain a bit when you name like 
companies like uh, uh, from Italy who are involved in Libya, how also, because we know how Libya, uh, Italy has been quite involved in Libya in the last few years. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, when it comes down to uh, people don't flee because they have a happy life, uh, they, have, they flee because of reasons. And a lot of these reasons uh, are actually fueled, fueled by, uh, by European, by Western policies. Uh, yeah. Uh, because of the because of reckless military interventions, unequal economic relations, mm. uh, what we'll see more is the consequence of climate uh, change, which is also caused mainly by Western economies. Uh, and the arms trade is one of that uh, as well. Uh, as long as Europe allows European military and security companies to fuel uh, war, uh, to fuel human rights abuses, repression, by sending uh, the weapons and other tools for them, uh, for uh, governments to, uh, to do that, mm. It's no wonder that uh, that people have to flee. Uh, actually, this whole process of border externalization is only is only fueling this more because it it helps authoritarian regimes, which, which the EU wants to cooperate, and it undermines economic migration-based economies in Africa, and it uh, threatens internal stability in uh, in a lot of countries. So yeah, the EU and uh, it, uh, the products of EU uh, of European military and security companies are fueling the reasons that people have to flee. Mm-hmm. And by framing them that as only as a threat, as a uh, security problem, uh, yeah. yeah, just yeah, morally it's completely ununderstandable what's uh, what's happening. Uh, for a large part, it's uh, you fuel the reasons that people have to flee, and then. What you do instead of uh, welcoming that, and even more important, on starting to eliminate these these reasons and mm-hmm. your role in that, you try yeah. to stop them, and that's the only thing you focus on. In your in in one of the act articles that we read that you wrote, you also you. So I'm gonna be bringing you another music uh, before we go next to the next last interview with Macaque Man and uh, right now you're listening to Classico Frontera which also translates to borders and since we're talking about borders today so let's play music that reflects with actually borders and in today's you've been hearing what we've been talking about both those who actually somehow flew the conflict why people have to migrate or cause the reasons why people have to migrate and at the same time we'll be talking about how some of these same individuals are part of the people who benefit from it and also who get the contract from this um, militarization or security purposes that they present but right now enjoy the music and we'll come back in a while
also when we're talking about the issue of migration and how the migra migrants are being criminalized, refugees, people are, who are displaced, people who are on the move, any of these categories you wish to put the people on uh, the refugees in, all we're just saying is that people should try to understand the story behind people's moving. And one of that is one of the issues we've been talking about with Macakman. So I will be going back to his next interview. And um, I hope we are teaching during this process. And I hope people are learning during this process. I hope there is an understanding during this process. industry is not just a coincidence but it's like or it's not a it's no coincidence nor result of the industry's own efforts that it, in fact it's a stated objective of the eu to support this uh, global competitiveness of the european military and security industry and that eu does all that it can to like inter intensify these close ties with the European military and security industry. So I think this was a very important point. And so just I wanted to ask you to elaborate on this point. Well, if you look at, uh, at EU policy documents, uh, you can see that one of the objectives of the EU is to uh, support uh, the European uh, military and security industry and its, uh, and its global competitiveness. So mm. uh, that's, for example, in the uh, new European uh, Defence Fund, which was launched this year, and which will uh, be spending billions of euros on development of uh, new arms in the next uh, next ten years. They say the objective is to uh, to support the industry. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's part of this border externalisation and this whole border security as well is to to support uh, the global position of the European industry and stimulate that it exports to other parts of the world. Yeah, the EU is uh, really getting closer and closer with industry on this. For example, this European uh, Defence Fund has a research part that is completely based on an uh, advisory paper mm -hmm. that was written by a so-called group of personalities, which was initiated by the European Commission and which was uh, largely made up of representatives of the arms industry. Mm -hmm. and yeah, another example is that uh, earlier this year there was a... a also organized the European Commission on a day for industry on border management. And one of the objectives that the European Commission had for this day was also to uh, to have closer ties, or even closer ties with the military and security industry. Mm. Um, yeah, so this is an ongoing process. If you could explain what is the what is EU's interest in having this like competitive, uh, global, global competitive uh, position on the... Military and mi security. Yeah. Yeah, well, what they say themselves, uh, I think it's largely just support for industry, uh, just the economic, uh, supporting the economic industry, interests of this industry. Mm -hmm. But what they say themselves is that uh, European uh, industry needs to be the best in the world so that the EU has access to the best, uh, to the best uh, new uh, technologies, new arms, uh, new security tools uh, in the world. That's what they say themselves. But it's important to support the industry so that it maintains a leading position in the world. This whole policies of externalization of the of the EU borders, it's also somewhat invisible to the European citizens, um, since what it actually does is also externalizing that violence that the bordering brings mm. when it's in Europe, of course, it's more... They still... I think they still always try to invisibilize this in different ways 
Um, like I'm just thinking about also the Danish camp system that is very isolated and far from c- from cities where people are. So there's different ways of trying to, yeah, making it not known. Um, and especially these policies of externalization, I think, uh, I guess that's also a big interest in it is to to make it more like not visible, at least in the European Public. Yeah, public. What is happening? So, I was just wanted to talk about like how to to actually deal with this and address this and make it more uh, accessible for citizens. Yeah, like bring more awareness about like these processes that is actually taking place. Well, I completely agree with you. I think one of the goals of those policies is to uh, to keep the refugees out of the public eye. I mean, if there are people uh, drowning in the Mediterranean, there is press attention for it and it comes mm-hmm. to the public eye. Yeah. But if people are dying in the desert in Africa, a lot of times it isn't covered at all, so there will be less opposition to these policies. Exactly. I think it's difficult to think, yeah, you have to write about it, talk about it, uh, you have to uh, cooperate uh, with organizations, movements in those third countries to mm-hmm. get their voices heard here in Europe. Um, uh, yeah. Hey, one of the things I, I was thinking why you she was asking or my my colleague was asking you this question is also how complicit the the politicians uh, in the EU and how deceiving they have been in trying to both hide it away and also invest in these things that they have deceived the european citizens that they themselves do not know the um, implications of sometimes what they support like you can see quite a lot of these uh, reflections on, on the in the society today whereby people who also supported the refugee welcome initiative in 2015 are now suddenly against it because they have really bought into the idea that that this is a security problem that there is a lot of quote unquote terrorists or people who are dangerous who are coming into uh, the society Can you maybe elaborate on this a bit so that people really understand these double standards that the politicians are playing and the industries are also complicit in like making the rules for the politicians to apply? I think as what I already said, that it's been very successful in framing it as a security problem. Uh, what you say, for example, about the largely unfounded idea that terrorists will uh, enter Europe through uh, to migration. I think it needs a counter-narrative, but I mm. think it's hard because yeah. it's very, uh, very general discourse and you can see it uh, with all the talks on the EU level. There's a lot of differences between countries, but they don't differ on the idea that there should be less migration and mm. people mm-hmm. should be kept mm. outside Europe. Mm. It's yeah. difficult since it's, it's always yeah. this, I think, this security discourse has been established or been in establishment for a very long time and somehow gained a position as a hegemonic discourse that is that makes it even di- more difficult to counteract. Yeah. Um yeah. but I think this is really it's it's really important. I mean for us I think it's very very important in order to if somehow we have to find a solution to these problems and also stopping the a lot of debt and prejudice this brings we actually have to build a force with the common citizens that can actually counter this narrative that they are presenting to what is happening in reality, either on deserts or in the seas? Uh, yeah, of course, we have to mask it and present it more to, to a large public. Yeah, I agree. Um, so also in line of that, what what do you see of like possibilities of, of fighting against these po- policies? 
of externalization. What mm. would be your advice to common citizens uh, or even refugees, uh, how to move along to counter this narrative? Well, yeah, again, that's a very difficult question, but I think, yeah, uh, you have to get into action against uh, against these policies uh, you have to mm -hmm. uh, question authorities and question politicians and get into action try to stop it because it's uh, yeah ruining a lot of people's lives and uh, definitely we have to build some power counter power thank you very much and also keep up the good work you're doing okay thank you thank you for your work bye bye, bye. bye. so the voice you were hearing was that of uh, um uh, and then now we are at the end of his own show and now i'm going to be bringing you another music or another music is going to be coming your way which is going to be manu chow and it's called clydestine and this refers also to people who are not wanted in the society people who are not allowed to come into the society and he's actually just talking about how he himself or his experience of being excluded in the society. So here is Manachal, Kaledes, Kaledes. Solo voy con mi pena, sola va mi condena. Correré mi destino para burlar la ley. Perdido en el corazón de la grande Babilón. Me dicen el clandestino por no llevar papel Pa' una ciudad del norte yo me fui a trabajar Mi vida la dejé entre Ceuta y Gibraltar Soy una raya en el mar, fantasma en la ciudad Mi vida va prohibida, dice la autoridad Solo voy con mi pena, sola va mi condena. And this song today is uh, dedicated to a lot of the migrants who are actually in Spain, in, in Spain islands, uh, Celta, which is going to be the next topic we are going to be talking about now. And um, we are going to be talking about quite a lot about the borders between Spain and Morocco and uh, how in the past the Spanish government has taken over this and how this has also been quite a lot of um, politics that has been played in the past over these islands and it was previously in the hands of the Portuguese and now in the hands of the Spanish since um, uh, the independence of these islands and now it's still in the hands of the um, Spanish government even though the Moroccan government do not recognize the sovereignty of this um, of the Spanish government in this island but yet they have been the ones maintaining it for the last many years and in these many years, it has also been an issue for quite uh, migrants and refugees. And uh, today, we'll be talking to Micah, uh, we'll be talking to a friend, a, a, a journalist, an activist who also lives in Celta. And uh, his name is Rewan, and uh, he was, he has been working specifically with um, 
never mind the maids uh, alarm phone as focusing on the both policies that the eu has made and also the externalization of uh, spanish border outside of spain to morocco which is being today mainly controlled by the, the uh, moroccan government so the interview i'll be bringing over right now is uh, by rewan and he's an activist in celta before as i said and he's uh, w- working with um watch the maid and what the maid is an online mapping platform that monitors the date of uh, uh, violations of migrants and the rights of maritime borders on the sea of eu an alarm phone is a hotline for boats of people who are in distress pushing through uh, pushing authorities to carry out rescue missions on the on the sea so we are actually talking to somebody who is also on the ground who would who also has a different view from what the government has always presented as what they are doing and uh, who tells us specifically about the uh, consequences for people who are on the ground and uh, he speaks spanish and this was translated during the time of the interview and um, i hope you are patient to listen to it and as i said this music that was played before was dedicated to the 800 people who tried to cross from morocco to celta last two weeks and um, what it has played out in the media today but anyway before we go over to that i would like to play his interview and now here comes the interview everyone vulneraciones de derechos humanos a diestro y siniestro considerando más el capital y la las eh, el libre comercio eh, justificando con el control y seguridad a causa de las filtraciones supuestas filtraciones de yihadistas o delincuencia o agresividad entre las personas en movimiento o en tránsito so what he's saying is right now the situation is catastrophical Yeah. Uh, due to the, to the violations of the uh, rights and the agreements of um, the free uh, liberty of movement and the liberty of commerce. Yeah. Uh, and that is uh, under the pretext of, um, of course, blocking the transits of uh, jihadists and other dangerous elements hmm. that want to uh, uh, move over the border. Now, but before we go over to this topic because it is something that has like in my experience uh, I have to say I am also a refugee and uh, I am part of one of those people that is being criminalized or quite a lot of us has been criminalized or are facing this deportation both inside and outside the ones that are coming into Europe. So, I would like us to go in depth with that, but before that I would like us to more like I would like to like him to introduce himself and um what he works with and what they have been working with because I also understand he's a journalist. Please can he introduce himself? Quieren quiere mucho ir a profundidad con ese con esos temas. Él también siendo un refugiado y sabiendo mucho de las condiciones de migrantes y refugiados en la Unión Europea. Pero antes de eso, él le gustaría mucho si usted pudiera presentar. Él sabe un poco de usted que es periodista, pero le gustaría mucho que 
que si usted pudiera eh, presentar tus, tú como persona y tus proyectos eh, de, de trabajo. Bueno, yo soy, yo me llamo Reduan Mohamed. Soy español que vivo en Ceuta y soy activista pro derechos humanos inmigrantes en frontera sur de Europa. Eh, mi labor, mi labor la realizo tanto dentro de Ceuta como en los en Marruecos, en la zona del perímetro fronterizo con Ceuta, los campamentos de cercanos a la Ceuta, Benjunes y arriba en Tánger, por la zona de la periferia, las casas pateras donde hay muchos muchos inmigrantes asesinados. Yeah. So his name is Redwan uh, Mohamed. He's uh, oui. Spanish yeah. citizen from from Ceuta, mm -hmm. uh, and he's a human rights activist uh, working inside of the Spanish enclave in northern Africa of Ceuta. Yeah. Also in uh, in areas inside of Morocco, such as Tanger and um, Yeah, some other places he also mentions in the uh, in the near, uh, surrounding areas of Ceuta. So, he is an activist who also is working on human rights. What specifically or what organizations does he work with? Because I have uh, um, seen such uh, one of the organizations he works with, which is Alarm Phone and uh, Watch the Maid Net. And uh, can he introduce a little bit what kind of work they do? Okay. Okay. Uh, le gustaría mucho saber eh, eh, qué, con qué organizaciones eh, está trabajando los nombres de las organizaciones y eh, especialmente qué, qué áreas de derechos humanos eh, usted, eh, usted trabaja. Bueno, eh, no lo considero trabajo porque yo no estoy contratado ni tengo una mensualidad. Soy voluntario. Uh -huh. En, en la plataforma de activistas internacional de Alarmfon, soy enlace en frontera sur, Ceuta, Marruecos. Soy del grupo Western Med. Y también soy del, de la asociación Digmun por la dignidad de las mujeres y los niños en Ceuta. He would like to stress that he does not consider what he's doing as work, as he's uh, voluntary. Yeah. Uh, but he is uh, working with several organizations. There was set rule for the, for the, uh, something with the, 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 the borders. Then he worked with uh, um, an organization for the rights of uh, women and children in Ceuta. Yeah. Uh, disculpa, ¿puede mencionar las organizaciones de nuevo? Yo te he dicho, uh, Alaphone Internacional, Plataforma de Activistas, que trabaja por la labor de ayuda uh, y apoyo a personas con emergencia en el mar. Y luego, el eh, local de Ceuta... Sí. Perdón, vale. Alan International, where he works with... Alan Pone, yeah, you know it. So he works with the people on the, who are having emergencies on the, on the sea. Yeah. On the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah. Y mi labor en Alarmfon es la labor sobre el terreno de orientación, investigación, denuncia, reivindicación y distribución del número de alarma en los bosques y en las casas por donde están eh, las personas en tránsito o ruta. So what is uh, uh, mi labor where he's uh, 
working with the uh, information dis- uh, distribution uh, mm-hmm. and uh, organ- organizing and uh, giving out inf- information for people who are in the forest yeah and, uh, and uh, camps yeah uh, of transit so he's uh, helping with the with the organization especially uh, is, um, giving information to the people who are in the transit camps mm. so one of my main questions today, or one of the things we try to focus about, is the human cost of this this externalization of EU borders. In his experience of either um, volunteering in this field, what has he experienced as the human consequences for these externalizations in his experience in such in in, in places like CELTA? One of the el costo humano para, uh, para las personas o en general eh, de la política de estandarización eh, de las fronteras de Europa. Y si eh, usted tiene ejemplos o puede explicar eh, qué, qué costos o qué consecuencias hay para las personas eh, en tránsito o en necesidad de esta política. Pues sí, eh, la externalización de frontera es una causa, es una causa de, 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 la, de todo sufrimiento, de todo sufrimiento, bloqueo y contención de las personas que intentan cruzar para, para Europa por cualquiera de los puntos de la ruta. Suffering, suffering of people and detention of people who are trying to uh, cross uh, uh, into the EU mm-hmm. from uh, all the border points. So this policy is uh, causing a lot of uh, pain and suffering for people and a lot of people are being uh, held back yeah. and are in detention because of this politics and it happens on all the border uh, the border crossing points that you know of. No stop. Por la, la externalización de frontera, ahora mismo... Eh, por los acuerdos que hay firmados eh, con, de Europa con terceros países, están haciéndoles eh, el trabajo sucio, tanto Libia como Argelia, como Túnez, como Marruecos, para el bloqueo y contención. Eh, las personas que son bloqueadas en Marruecos, cuando hay algún intento de movimiento para entrar a zona europea o española, pues eh, uh-huh. son eh, la, los que no pueden entrar son detenidos son detenidos contenidos y devueltos hay devoluciones en caliente pushback o deportaciones hacia el sur deportaciones okay. hacia el sur so this politic what it, it is really doing is externalizing the uh, borders of Europe uh-huh. meaning that it's no, no longer the European states that have to do the dirty work but they are actually um, externalizing the borders would mean that they have, are giving, passing on the dirty work to uh, the states of uh, Libya, Algeria, Tunisia and uh, Morocco. Yeah. Uh, which, which is because of, uh, the, of the, the uh, decrees that they have, and these decrees that they have passed, is externalizing the border has meant that uh, it is now the uh, North African states that are doing the blocking mm-hmm. and the, the detention and um, the pushbacks. Holding back of uh, people who are trying, who are planning on, or trying to transiting into Spain or other EU territory. Yeah, and uh, it is also these countries that are now organizing 
the uh, return of uh, the refugees and migrants from uh, with the programs of sending them back south. Now, what we talk about, because since he has already mentioned Libya, and uh, we are talking about the border of Morocco, which is Celta now, and yeah. Melia, um, in his opinion, in, in uh, volunteering in this field, how has he seen the increase from, let's say, in the last 10 years, how has he seen the increase and what does he think is the most um, misleading or sort of uh, the most important thing that should be talked about, about mm. the consequences? Entonces, desde que usted tiene mucha experiencia, experiencia y sabe de lo que está uh, pasando, ahora mencionó eh, Libia, pero quiere mantener el enfoque en Ceuta eh, y en eh, las, los enclavos ahí en España, que está más cerca de usted. Eh, quiere saber, eh, en su opinión, cuál es eh, lo más importante que nosotros como el público en Europa deberíamos saber de, de qué deberíamos de qué deberíamos hablar que no estamos hablando eh, en este asunto pues en este asunto lo que estamos eh, con las políticas europeas de externalización de frontera eh, contra las personas sin movimiento lo único que se está hablando es, se está generando polémicas eh, hacia la ciudadanía por, de, políticas del miedo para crear más odio hacia, hacia las personas en movimiento y así con eso justificar todas las inversiones en control y seguridad lo que se está gestando por toda por todas las zonas de la ruta What he thinks is going on right now uh, in Europe is mm -hmm. a politic of fear yeah. so, there, so there are these uh, campaigns that always focus on the uh, security threat uh, of these uh, people in movement, mm -hmm. as he called them. Yeah. Personas in movimiento. He doesn't refer to them as neither migrants or refugees, but people in movement. Yeah. So uh, so there is this uh, a po a polemic uh, policy uh, in Europe that has uh, an overdriven focus on the security threat of these people and not on their necessities. Yeah, exactly. This is the point we're talking about because we've seen the, quite the rise of the demand to protect the borders in EU to be able to stop the migrant flow, which is one of the biggest security problems the, the, the EU assumes to have right now. So when we look at the consequences in terms of what we are seeing in Libya, when we look at uh, what is going on in uh, CELTA with the Spanish state and the way they are actually building this security in order to prevent people from coming and what it actually costs for these people when you talk about like the people who are in the camps in the in, in CELTA or in Morocco and that the, the human cause that we have seen in like places like Libya or Nigel or people dying in the desert itself or the pushback from the ones in the military, what does what has he seen in this field that is the real consequences that we should be talking about that people should be should be hearing in the in in in, in EU? Entonces, eh, quiere saber eh, de las consecuencias humanas eh, para las personas que están en tránsito, que están en movimiento en los campos eh, de, de toda esta política. Eh, de, 
por ejemplo, por ejemplo de la de, de España, que eh, la externalización de las fronteras quiere saber que, que nosotros aquí en la Unión Europea deberíamos saber sobre eh, lo que pasa eh, de día a día, cuan, cuáles son las consecuencias directas para las personas que están en los campos, para, les, para las personas que están en tránsito. Pues sí, las consecuencias son brutales porque con el bloqueo, contención e inversión en control y seguridad están desplazando a la gente a rutas más peligrosas para cruzar por las aguas eh, con riesgo a morir y con eh, botes o pateras deficientes, sin garantías y eso son, la, son las consecuencias. Aparte por la ruta, por los bosques, por los bosques eh, están pasando a la gente penurias, viviendo a la intemperie, eh, en zonas eh, de descampado, sin comida, sin ropa, sin tener una, un cobijo donde esconderse. Esas son las consecuencias. We can talk of uh, two types of consequences. The one consequence is for the people who are actually uh, currently in transit. Yeah. They, they are being displaced. Yeah. from safer routes onto the more unsafe routes. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, are being they are being displaced from safer boats onto more uh, in inefficient boats. So uh, all, all over, uh, because of this externalization of this policy, it's getting more difficult, which means that people will take... Um, uh, they're fortifying the borders, so they have to find other uh, routes more dangerous. So we see more uh, people die, more more people putting themselves in risk in the process of movement into the EU. Hmm. Uh, the other side of it is the people who are not currently in movement, but who are in the position of waiting in camps, yeah. especially in in the woods around uh, <coughs> the Spanish enclaves yeah. uh, in in Morocco. Hmm. Or, so uh, people are—they are being forced uh, into uh, into the woods, uh, the camps. They have uh, less access to food. Mm -hmm. They have less access to uh, drinking water. They have uh, most of them ha do not have shelter mm. to, uh, to put over them uh, during the night, and uh, it's a very very hard situation. And there's uh, very very few people doing anything to. Help them, uh, help them out in these, uh, in these uh, camps. When we are talking about the policies that... Assalamu alaikum, Brüder und Schwestern, angekommen im Wind, Wind, Westen. Hebt eure Köpfe, schaut über die Grenzen. Alles ist begrenzt, so, selbst die Intelligenz. This is the bridge radio, as you're listening again. And this is Ebo, called Azil. The music you're hearing right now. And it's called Azil. And this music is also dedicated for those asylum seekers, um, refugees, migrants who are seeking asylum. And we're asking the EU states to recognize that it is very, very important to respect the rights of asylum seekers and to respect their human rights.
and since we're talking about uh, CELTA and Spain's um, implications in the way they have actually contributed quite a lot in um, externalizing the EU borders outside of um, Spain and now today we are talking about the border between Morocco and Spain which is actually used to be uh, which is Morocco but in the hands of Spain today and for those of us who do not know Celta, Celta is located uh, in uh, in Morocco in Africa but it is an enclave that is in the Spanish territory today and um, in many points and in many during the times the location of Celta has really really been very very important in uh, commercial trade and uh, military waypoint for many many cultures and there uh, have been different it has been in different hands before it was in the hands of um, the Portugal state or the Portugal kingdom in 1415 and uh, when Spain made the place get independent from uh, uh, Morocco from 1956 Celta and other um, Spanish enclaves remained under Spain and its rules and today it's considered an intellectual part of Spanish state uh, intergold part of Spanish state sorry and when we're talking about Celta we should also be talking more about Melia because they are quite um, almost in the same place so talking about this and also trying to understand Europe colony and how they have been dealing with um, migration mainly when it, it, it comes to people from African descent uh, or Middle Easterns or other people who are not Europeans we should really really recognize that it also has to do quite a lot with um, it also has to do quite a lot with uh, colonization listening to is called Azir by Ebo and Nikki the Cloud playing in this music. And now we'll be going next to Maka Akma. We'll be going next to the next interview. When we are talking about the policies that the, the EU state makes in order to prevent both, let's say, refugees, when they say they even try to create a um, safer way for or safer. Um, routes for refugees and migrants by it's now turning into the demand for security and the demand to prevent refugees from coming who does he think from his experience in working in your know, in um, volunteering in this field who does he think really profit from these policies and does he really think that the the sort of poli politics that is being played today how does he see how also that is dangerous in terms of how much it has caused a lot of discrimination among the refugees and migrants. 
or displaced people in general, people of movement. Mm. So can you, can you just, uh, you said creating safer routes, I didn't get that part. Yeah, it, well, from 2015, um, the, EU, the, the EU tried to say, or the politicians tried to say, they, they we are going to um, create a safer route for refugees and migrants who are coming because of there was a lot of people who was dying uh, on the sea they, from 2015 when they started to acknowledge that. So from from 2015 to now, we have seen the, instead of creating a safer route, it has turned to the externalization of the borders outside and the demand to um, uh, for security to prevent these people, uh, the refugees and migrants, from coming in. How does he think uh, these policies are dangerous and how does he think... Who is it profiting? Yeah, who is profiting from this? And so, since this year, in 2015, the European Union has proclaimed that they want to create more safe routes for people in movement in general. But at the same time, we have seen that the political direction Grecia, Ceuta, Melilla y por todas partes de, 
del cerco de la Europa Fortaleza. So uh, there were two, you had two type two parts of the question. Yeah. What are the consequences of this politics and who is profiting from, from it? Yeah. So what he said is that the, the consequences of this politics uh, is of course uh, what he also mentioned before, the uh, politics of fear. Mm -hmm. uh, there's um, the uh, discourse which we are seeing all over the EU that uh, the people in movement are uh, bringing insecurity, they're bringing instability, they're bringing yeah. violence, yeah. they are robbing jobs, yeah. they are um, uh, displacing uh, peoples in Europe, they are taking the space away from people, mm -hmm. they are just a security threat. Mm -hmm. So this is also a consequence not only for the people in movement, but also uh, for people with roots in other parts of the world than Europe. Yeah. So this is, uh, um, and of course, from from uh, this this politics is of course the, uh, the uh, he mentioned the uh, neoliberals the mm -hmm. neoliberal and fascist states are be able to increase uh, the the so called security they're able to in increase the uh, uh, presence of military presence of security personnel mm -hmm. and, uh, and thereby in uh, increasing their own power. Yeah. Also, uh, who is profiting directly from this politics are uh, co companies such as Frontex mm -hmm. and other secu mm -hmm. security companies. That, that those who are uh, giving personnel to this to the fortifying of the borders, but also there is a huge industry uh, based in Malaga yeah. uh, for producing uh, all. all barbed wire and uh, plastic plates and all the things that you need to run uh, these, what he called, uh, concentration camps. Yeah. That, uh, that you find different places in southern Italy, you find them in, in Malta, you find them in Greece, and of course in uh, Ceuta. Yeah. Uh, so there's a whole uh, industry uh, of uh, with various facets behind uh, uh, this politics that is actually profiting uh, hugely from the, from the policies of fortifying the borders. Yeah, that's also very good because he has also been mentioning some of the companies which many of the um, both academia and activists uh, we've had in the program have mentioned, which is uh, Frontex and uh, such companies yeah. as uh, G4S. Oh. I mean, but it's a company, uh, one of the security companies also in Denmark or that also developed from Denmark here. So, mm. but um, going to my next question is going to be for he himself, what does he think, um, or how does the the implications or the the organizations he works with, such as like um, um, Alarm Phone, um, Mind Mind the Maid, or something like this? I'm not sure. I look for the name of it. Uh, can he explain a little bit what these organizations do, and? Um, yeah, he works with alarmphone.org and um, watchthemaid.net uh, that I could see from here. Can you explain a little bit what they do in terms of this um, both externalization or the whole issue of migration in general? Can you explain a little bit what they do on this field? And then, ¿quieres saber? Ah, primero que te gustó mucho de su respuesta y quiere agradecer. Y eh, la, la próxima pregunta es sobre las organizaciones, eh, ahora no me acuerdo, disculpa de los nombres, que no, no, no las conocía. ¿Quieres saber eh, eh, más en la práctica qué, qué, qué hacen en el eh, trabajo voluntario? Eh, 
en, la, en, la, en, en cuál organización me, me hablas? ¿De Alarm Phone Internacional o de Digmund Ceuta? Eh, Preguntó de, de los dos. Podemos de los comenzar dos. con Alarm Phone. Alarm Phone. O, bueno, Alarm Phone Internacional forma parte de, de una plataforma de 150 activistas censados eh, o más. Eh, son Hay eh, teleoperadores que reciben las llamadas de, los, de las pateras con dificultad o emergencia en el mar. Eh, nosotros eh, nosotros somos... Sí, perdón. Okay. So, uh, Alamfon uh, is a platform of 150 uh, volunteers, mm -hmm. sometimes more, mm -hmm. that uh, work with emergency on the, on the, on the seas. So yeah. they have a, a telecommunication center that works with the, that, take, that takes in the... Um, The, uh, emergency calls from the boats on the sea. Eh, luego, eh, la mayoría, nosotros como yo, somos enlace en frontera sur y hacemos el trabajo de campo. Cuando vamos de mm -hmm. visita a los campamentos o a las zonas donde están los migrantes, solemos informar del número de alarma y, y de cómo funciona y cómo tienen que llamar si están en, en peligro o emergencia en el mar y también de cómo utilizar el GPS del smartphone para enviar su localización y poder ser rescatados por las uh, guardacostas o las ONGs de salvamento. But in the uh, other other organization that was Alan Fon first and the and the other organization that he mentioned they do more like field work. Yeah. They go to where people stay mm -hmm. and they give information about How, uh, which number to call, yeah. how to call, how to use uh, the GPS in a smartphone to give the coordinates to the Coast Guards or to the NGO boats mm -hmm. that can pick them up, and uh, how to know when they are in a state of emergency, mm -hmm. and uh, yes, what to do when they're in a state of emergency, especially when they're on the mar, on the sea. Dealing with this, uh, I just don't know, do they sometimes highlight the issues of Um, let's say first deportations from uh, either Celta or Melilla back to Morocco or from Spain to any other country. I mean, first deportation or deportation that is not volunteered at all. Do, do they work on this field or does he see also how that has increased quite a lot in Europe? Entonces, saber si ustedes también trabaja con el tema de deportación involuntaria? es un tema que ustedes tocan eh, en, en su trabajo eh, con lo, las, las personas en movimiento. Pues sí, nosotros eh, también en Ceuta tenemos un grupo eh, de alarma de diferentes organizaciones que cuando hay eh, un intento de devolución, pushback, devolución en caliente para que los devuelvan a Marruecos y posteriormente ser deportados hacia el sur, solemos movilizarnos para hacer presión e intentar parar esa devolución en caliente que se le llama pushback vale tanto por el mar como por como por la valla okay yes they also have a group uh, which is based in Ceuta uh -huh. that uh, that puts out a uh, alarm so when they have these so-called pushbacks yeah. which are the, the deportation of people from Ceuta and Melilla to Morocco 
and afterwards from Morocco and further down south, they can give out information and try to uh, avoid people being pushed back. It works also uh, on the sea, but mainly uh, back in in Ceuta or on land. Yeah, I mean, we also have seen that happening quite a lot when we when the um, uh, Spanish police hands over some of the uh, migrants who have already jumped the fence over back to the Moroccan uh, authorities. So you're listening to The Bridge Radio, and now you've been hearing the interview from Rewan, and uh, we are talking specifically on the uh, Spanish uh, enclave island um, that is at, uh, over to Morocco, and it's, um, it's been in the hands of the Moroccan state in the last hundreds of years. And now... Before we move over to the next interview, I'm going to be bringing you um, a song by one we, officially called Fall, and he's also a migrant who sings about borders and um, trying to notify the society about the policies of borders. Here comes the song. Some of 
dedicating this song to both many of the refugees who have both those who have arrived those who are still on the way those who sadly passed away and those who are still on the Mediterranean in the detention centers and all over Europe uh, and outside of Europe so this song is dedicated to you but as much as uh, I would like to take my time to go in more in depth into this and explaining this um, we time is not on our side uh, but after this song i would like to play you one of the clip before we continue over to the next um, interview with uh, rewan uh, i would like to play you a short clip from um, 2015 uh, interview by the foreign minister of europe or chief foreign minister in terms of addressing this um, migrant issue and what she has to say and here comes the interview high representative federica mogherini thank you for talking to al jazeera thank you let us start with the refugee crisis how serious is this refugee crisis for the European Union because some say it threatens the entire Union. It is important for the Europeans uh, but let me start by saying it is not a European crisis. It's a regional crisis and it's a global phenomenon. There are more refugees and migrants traveling around the world within Africa, within Asia than those that are coming to Europe. This to say we have as Europeans to put things in perspective and to realize that it is not only a European phenomenon it is a global move, starting from wars, conflicts, poverty, natural disasters, climate change. It is the world that is going into that direction. People move out of desperation, out of hope, and we have to learn how to manage this. This is a European crisis in the sense that Europe is starting to learn to manage this phenomenon together as Europeans, which is something important, something good, for Europe and for the refugees, that we develop systems and ways to effectively protect those that are in need of international protection, and also that we learn together how to partner with countries of origin and transit to manage the flow, discourage people to uh, have dramatic journeys, most of the times losing their lives at sea or in the desert, and discourage irregular migration and open legal channels for regular migration. 
So that was uh, the interview by the chief policy maker in Europe. And uh, why I play this interview is for us to uh, actually understand this was done 2015 when the migration flow was at its peak. And, and today, three years on, it is very sad to say that despite what she said, uh, they have made the policies that actually do not protect um, um, migrants or p save them from dying on the sea or even third countries. Now, since we're talking about third countries, we've been talking about m Morocco and, um, and Spain and creating, uh, we've been talking about externalization of EU borders. And we try, I try, or we try a little bit to make a sense of what the EU actually says in reality and what they do in practice. So when we are looking at um, places like Spain and Morocco, we understand or CELTA and Melia, we sort of understand that the EU is doing opposite exactly what they have um, proposed to do to the public. They've actually made it more dangerous for migrants and um, asylum seekers to be able to go through. And the death tours that has actually been happening right before 2015, before they got involved, has actually increased the detention centers. Um, the The risk of actually being able to safely move around uh, when you're in danger is even more less these days. They have made it more problematic for people to be able to move. Uh, and we just had the minister herself saying that they have to try to work and they, 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 they understand the um, migration problem uh, uh, is not only of... Uh, uh, in Europe, that people move more outside Europe actually than they do in Europe. So we we try to understand and also contradict them by what they say. So I will go back now to the interview with Rewan, where he also explains in depth how these things, these policies in practice actually affect people and are not actually in any way to protect people. Rather, it puts people more it puts people's life more in danger. So the next interview you will be hearing right now is going to be Rewan. And but before then, I will take a short break with our radio. And um, here it is. Radio, radio, My next question and the most important thing, also from his field, since he's an activist who has been working on this field, what would be his message to um, many of the EU activists or left-wing um, supporters that we have? What, do, what does he think is the most important message to send to them or for them to focus on or how to struggle together? Entonces dijo que eh, hemos visto eso bastante de los pushbacks, especialmente con, con la eh, policía de España. Eh, y ahora eh, la, es la, la pregunta más importante para él, que en tu eh, opinión personal, como activista con eh, mucha experiencia en España, ¿cuál es eh, tu mensaje para otros activistas en, eh, en Europa 
y eh, izquier eh, gente eh, izquierdistas en general que apoyan el ca eh, la causa, qué es lo que deben saber, qué es lo que eh, y dónde deben enfocar. Y si usted tiene algún eh, mensaje para, para aquellos. Que no se puede ser persona sin dejar a otra que lo sea. Eso principalmente. Mm. Y luego apoyar y reivindicar totalmente las vías legales y seguras. También eh, crea la creación de oficinas oficinas de asilo o de protección para visados en las embajadas o consulados en los terceros países. First of all, that uh, you cannot be a person without letting other people have the dignity of being a person as well. Mm -hmm. Second, it is uh, to uh, for for the activists uh, is to uh, create and uh, uh, support and inform about legal routes for the people in movement and also uh, to create the centers for people who are seeking asylum mm -hmm. in different places in Europe uh, and also to uh, push for their government to put uh, up uh, visa, uh, visa offices in their embassies and consulates in third countries. Yeah. Uh, so that people do not have to take this dangerous roads in order to seek asylum, but that they can seek asylum uh, more easily. But, uh, and yeah, and so also uh, the su support and information about uh, the, the legal and safest roads for people who are in movement. Thank you very much for also being uh, in the program. And uh, Randwan, if I don't know if I pronounced your name right, um, but uh, it's very nice to also hear from you. And um, what will be your encouragement for the EU citizens and how they exactly solidarity should be shown to, to the group of people who are displaced or who are on the movement? La, la última pregunta ahora. Te, te, uh, ¿Escuchaste la, los uh, uh, agradecimientos? Sí, agradecimientos sí. Luego sigue. Eh, si quiere saber si tiene algún ánimo, eh, algún eh, encorajamiento o para dar ánimos para las activistas, una cosa que deben saber para continu continuar el trabajo. Pues sí, pues sí. Mucho, yo mando a todos los activistas y todas las personas que sean humanas, que piensen en el prójimo, que la vida sigue y, la, y tiene que seguir su curso. No podemos bloquear el curso de la vida, aunque queramos, aunque queramos, es imposible. Las personas tienen que vivir y es la inmigración es la cuna de la humanidad. He said to, he wants to send uh, an encouragement, he wants to send a message to all his fellow activists. We can, we can never stop living ourselves and we can never uh, uh, prevent other people from living. Hmm. So we have to... Uh, continue our work. We have to continue our course yeah. uh, that we are already on as activists, because uh, migration is the backbone of humanity. And what will be his own advice to the people who are, let's say, displaced in terms of how to also be involved and get involved in trying to shape the movement or try to be involved in the movement? 
Yeah, fi, eh, finalmente, qua, eh, advice. ¿Cómo fala advice? No te escucho. Eh, eh, una palabra que no me acuerdo, ¿cómo decir? Eh, advice. Eh, consejo, ¿cuál, ¿cuál será tu consejo para personas en movimiento refugiados que ya han llegado o que, o que están en movimiento todavía? para ellos eh, ser parte de los movimientos para formar o solamente ser parte? ¿Tiene un, uh, algo para decir para ellos? Pues eh, el único consejo, que sean formales, que estudien, que sigan formándose y que trabajen mucho para poder ayudar a sus familias sin defraudar, sin defraudarlas. Ni, ni, ni calentar más eh, las polémicas que están suscitando con, con las acusaciones falsas de que todo lo que vienen de la inmigración son unos vagos, no quieren trabajar y quieren robarnos el trabajo y el pan y, y todo, siendo mentira. Ok, so his advice for people, uh, for people who have fled or people in movement is that they try to formalize themselves, mm -hmm. that they educate themselves, yeah. that they work really hard support their, fam their families yeah. and do not do anything that helps the uh, polemics of uh, uh, the, the uh, politics of uh, fear and polemics hmm. so that they be uh, uh, honest people try to support their families back home and hmm. uh, li live in dignity try to formalize themselves and uh, and uh, do not uh, do do not do anything that helps the, the, the politics of fear and that, that they can justify anybody saying that the people who come from outside do not want to work and do not want to contribute. Hmm. So in that way, be in solidarity with other people who are also in movements. Well, to every one of us who are out there, who are also activists and who are part of this movement, we've had it all. And uh, we've been talking to Rendwan. And uh, thank you very much for being in this program. And thank you for sharing your opinions and the struggles you've been also quite involved in in Celta and um, Melia in, in Spain in general, if I have to say. So thank you very much also for sharing your experience and your input with us on the Bridge Radio today. Muchísimas gracias por comp uh, compartir tus experiencias, tus opiniones con eh, nosotros en eh, Bridge Radio. Eh, eh, nos lo agradecemos mucho, eh, eh, sabiendo que usted ha sido bastante involucrado en lo, el trabajo en Ceuta y en, eh, en eh, los enclavos españoles en el África del Norte. Pues muchas gracias a vosotros. Y lo único, a ver si cuando podría ser, me enviáis el enlace del programa, por favor. He's also, uh, thanks, thanks you a lot, and uh, he would, he would uh, be very thankful if uh, you could send him the program as soon as... Not to take off words from his mouth, if he has any large words to say, um, this will be also be good for, for him to know, or for, for, for me to know, so that he can say what, if he has any more things to say. Te lo va a mandar después. Y ahora quieres si, eh, si tú quieres decir eh, cualquier cosa, eh, puedes eh, adicionarlo ahora. Pues bueno, eh, estoy muy agradecido a vuestra radio por eh, que intentar visibilizar eh, toda la situación que tenemos por estas zonas 
gracias a las políticas nefastas de la Unión Europea, pagando a terceros países para que les hagan el trabajo sucio y dar voz a las personas en movimiento que no pueden alzar su voz. So he wants to say thank you to for being able to, uh, to get this platform to uh, visualize the situation that they're living uh, in Ceuta. Mm. Uh, due to this politics of the externalization of the borders. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thank you for putting a focus on the work that they're doing and especially uh, to uh, be able to somehow give a voice for those who are in movements that mm. do not have a voice. Mm. Also, thank you very much. And also, thank you to you, Daniel. You've been an amazing translator for, for us today. Uh, you've also been part of making this program quite possible today and we also say thank you to you from the bridge radio and uh, thank you for coming on thank you it has been my pleasure <laughs> also here so that was the interview from rend one and um, you had everything he has to say first uh, we are asking the european union or the european government also more specifically the um, spanish state and the government in Ceuta, Melilla, uh, or those in Morocco, uh, those in Niger, the Turkey deal, the, Turk, the uh, Greek, the, 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 the Danish government being detaining uh, refugees and migrants, all of these people, we are asking you to please do not break um, the human rights of refugees and migrants by pushing them back, by creating uh, obstacles so that they are not able to move, and also making it uh, a commercial or a business kind of um, uh, industry whereby people actually profit from other people's suffering and also to the refu also to the refugees themselves you had what red one has to say as an advice please keep yourself out from the things that implicates you that falls into this narrative that you do not want to work you're only here to to commit crimes and all of these things which actually makes us this kind of barbarians that they sort of want to put us in please be honest to yourself be honest to the families you've come out from be honest to the communities you've come out from so show some solidarity to uh, your fellow human beings brothers and sisters who are coming from the middle east who are coming from africa who are coming from asia who are also on this journey who are coming from south america who are also on this journey of migration that we are being forced to embark on so and again to the most people who we are hoping for that they can somehow also collaborate in changing the narrative in europe is to the activist social workers also those who would like a change in the society to the citizens of europe in general we ask you to really show what solidarity is and to support the refugees and migrants and not or in fact people on the movement displaced people people who are seeking protection to show real solidarity to them but before i um as our program is coming on almost to an end before i move on i got to bring you another song which we also like to play on this um bridge radio which is called border M mia and we want you to listen to this song and i will come back in a, a little while and we'll finish the program together so this is mia borders freedom item meet them where you read them 
This one needs a brand new weed Weed and the key Weed and the key them to life Let's beat them Weed them smartphones Don't beat them certainly have to tell them that we are not with them in these policies <clears throat> so we're also asking you the european citizens the activists please you need to stand up to say to your government we need to stand up to say to your leaders to say we are not really with you in these policies that you're making that actually kills we are not with you in these policies that actually displaces people because at the end of the day it is your tax money it is your contribution to the society that actually makes it very much possible that the eu government puts these kind of policies at uh, in place and these policies that they have put in place as much as we've seen in the past years has been dramatic for the refugees has been a tragedy for us and we are trying to change this um, idea and we are trying to bring into focus why it should not be and before i will leave i would like to pose a certain question to the whole um, eu states and most especially to their citizens we would like you to take into questions and most especially also to the Spanish state. As I mentioned earlier from the program, uh, as we are showing more tribute to the 800 migrants and refugees who came through the Spanish enclave um, in the last two weeks, we actually um, uphold their courage, we, we, we uphold their uh, freedom uh, of movement, and we are also saying big salute to them but before that we also like you to take into account if this is worth it how many people who have died on the sea in the last three years since the eu has intervened so much 
uh, is it worth it when you take into uh, account the externalization policies that you've put into place if it's worth it to keep on doing this to keep on putting this kind of um policies that prevent people from assessing their necessary um reflect of human rights and we would like you to really really reflect on that because the fundamental human rights of people are, are being taken away so we would like you to actually reflect on that and on the larger note we would like to say thank you very much for being into this program today and also listening to us but before we go I have to say thank you to everyone who has been listening and to everyone who made this program very much possible and um, we'll be bringing you another song which is called borders uh, or we get the job done migrants they get the job done and this is from here we'll be closing up for today's program and i hope that you are going to join us again in the next programs that is going to be coming up also focusing on this externalization of eu borders and most especially also working together and the issues that focuses on the migration issue and migration itself so I'm your host, Steve, and uh, I hope you stay tuned in, the, in our next coming programs. Thank you very much for today, and peace and solidarity. I got five roommates in this one studio, but I never really see them. And we all came America trying to get a lap dance from Lady Freedom. But now Lady Liberty is acting like Hillary Banks with a prenup. Man, I was brave, sailing on graves. Don't think I didn't notice those tombstones disguised as waves. I'm no dummy. Across these borders with thrifty supplies. All you gotta do is see the world with new eyes. Immigrants, we get the job done. Look how far I come. The Bridge Radio.